Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we have a special guest from Michigan, Kim DeBlaycourt, who is an international speaker, the award-winning author of Until We All Come Home, a story about adopting her son from the Ukraine. Kim currently serves as a president of Nourished Hearts, an international orphan care nonprofit. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, April. It's so good to be here. I am so excited about your story. I mean, you've written a book about it. So people are really involved in your adoption story. Oh, so many people. Oh, it's been um, it's been really quite a journey, but I, I just feel like right away I should caution people. This was the adoption journey that God had for us, and it in no way represents a typical adoption story from Ukraine or anywhere else. Yes, we always want to emphasize every journey is different because sometimes, you know, there's a fine line between encouraging people to adopt and then scaring them. We don't want to scare anyone because exactly. when God is calling you to do it, he will bring you through as he brought you through. So let's just start at the beginning. In 2006, you and your husband have a biological daughter, correct? Yes. yes. And JC was six years old at the time, and we suffered from secondary infertility, which we never expected. Okay, so you were thinking, we want another child, so you chose adoption. Now, why the Ukraine? Well, I had been there um, on a mission trip in 2003 with my church, and our church has had a mission program, well, now it's been over 20 years, since, since the um, dissolution of the USSR. And so we had been working in the country, and um, it's, I knew how badly the children there really, you could say that about any country, but especially in the Ukraine, for me, um, needed family. I like one of the statistics that you have about orphans in Ukraine. I mean, I don't like it, but I, it's interesting to me how many orphans there are. Yes, when, when you look at the percentage populations between the different countries, and Ukraine is known for their horrible underreporting of statistics. And yet, with the ones that... Um, UNICEF has found, and they listed in their Children on the Brink report in 2012, seven times the percentage population of the U.S. are unparented children that are in some kind of institutionalized care in Ukraine. So how did you start that process? What does that look like? You had to get a home study here? Yes, we, we went to a couple different um, agencies first. We finally selected an agency, which we were very careful about. And then we wanted to um, get the home study and get everything turned in as soon as possible. And then we ran into our first roadblock. <laughs> um, you, the country of Ukraine had closed to international adoption. Oh, no. But for very good reason. They really wanted to look at their program, update some of their paperwork and flow, and also they really wanted to encourage mothers to keep their children. So they were trying you know, their own form of governmental orphan prevention at that point and um, encouraging mothers to keep their children through pay incentives, a monthly incentive of payment from the government for the first two years of life. Okay, so they were kind of reorganizing their country to make sure that, you know, they were doing things correctly and not just handing children over to different countries. Right, right. And they wanted to make sure that they were following as close as they could without joining the Hague, because that was all happening around that time, just beginning, really. And um, 
they, you know, took the time to do some self-reflection, which you have to applaud them for. But as a waiting adoptive parent, you know, the minute you make that decision to become an adoptive parent is when you realize your arms are empty. And I think that we all kind of feel that same thing throughout the adoption process, and that's why it seems so long for us, you know? It seems so long, and at the same time, that's what keeps us going. And people on the outside are looking in saying, just stop, so much money, and it's so many um, different roadblocks, as you said, and your heart is empty, and you can't stop until you have that child, or you're matched, or you bring them home, and so it just keeps you going. It really does. It's it's just a longer gestation period is the way I came to look at it. Right, right. So we learned from Natalie, who was on the show telling her adoption story from Ukraine, that it works a little bit differently than other countries in Ukraine. You actually go over there and have a few that they present to you, a few orphans? Well, they kind of do it like this. They take you into the SDA, the Special Department of Adoptions, and they sit you down in a room, a very crowded kind of outdated office space, and they present you with a number of file folders. And they say, read through them and choose which child you would like to visit first. In Ukraine, you're offered three different visits of children, and then you're expected to make a decision, you know, of who you're going to adopt. Okay, so once you have your home, I'm sorry, once you have your home study done, how long before you wait to go over and even be presented children? Well, for us, we started our home study in 2006 and then stopped it, and then it continued into 2007, and we started building our dossier, got it all done, and then they were still closed to international adoption, and 2008 became the year of the child in Ukraine, and they stopped it for again for the entire year of 2008, and by the end of 2008, Um, They looked at their results, and they realized, no, we need to continue international adoption for our children. And so they started accepting dossiers at the end of 2008. We just barely made the cutoff for that. We were presented at the beginning of 2009, and we didn't travel over there to visit with the SDA until the uh, beginning, middle of May 2009. Wow. That was a long journey in itself. Yes. Okay, so you get over there, and they give you three of these files. Well, they gave us um, over 20. Oh, my goodness. At our first visit. Okay, but you're allowed to go to three different places. Right. Okay. You're allowed to go to three, see three different children. But when we got there, they had kind of changed the way they used to do things. So how it became for us was, after all this clo- being closed for 2008 and everything, and all these change in procedures, they change it slightly. So you go over there, you're presented like with 20 different folders. Now, these children are all available for international adoption because they have already been presented to the Ukraine population for over a year with no one adopting them. Okay. So that's another hurdle that these children have already passed. And then your facilitator, who is like your adoption almost attorney, if you will, um, helps you by reading, translating all these Russian or Ukrainian files into English for you. And they tell you the history and background, at least what's known of these children. And um, you are to select a child out of that. And can I just tell you how uncomfortable it made me feel? Right. I mean, because there's some comfort in at least feeling that God's in it when you're matched with a child. Right. But once you have that human element of them possibly holding back children and only showing you the children they want to show you, then your whole choice aspect goes into it. It just seemed that, uh, 
there was just so much chance for a quote-unquote error. So we just covered that whole waiting period with nothing but prayer regarding who we would be matched with. Mm-hmm. And our, our, it came down, if you boiled all our prayers on, it came down to God, please let us know. Right? Yes. Just let us know that we're making your choice. Because yours is the only choice that we know is going to be right in the right. situation. So you narrowed it down to three. and Yeah, one well, at a time. Okay. One at a time. So they show you 20, you get to select and go visit one at that point. Then you have to make a determination, yes or no, I want to see more children. And by the way, you cannot reverse that decision. Oh, my goodness. Like you can't go to child number two and go, wait a second, I really think it was child number one. Right. Oh, my. That, that is so much pressure. So just so you know, that's the way it really worked. Right. Okay, so d- was it the first child that you saw was your son? No, it wasn't. How did you walk away and say, no, I don't think so? Just something inside of you? Um, something that I still deal with it to this day. But God was very gracious in that. In that, um, and I'll just tell you now, even though it's a little bit out of storyline, uh, I actually got to see that first child that we ended up saying no to as a family get adopted by another family from France. Oh, and I was actually so there on the day that his new parents picked him up and took him home. Oh, that's so great. Now, can, can I just tell you, I mean, if you don't see God's fingerprints all over that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine, and there's been times, and I know a lot of our listeners, um, they do foster care, and some of them choose to adopt the child, and they always talk about the ones that they didn't adopt, you know, that weren't able to stay with them for different reasons. And it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to choose the right one for your family. And, and God brings you through, but I mean, he, he really... Does. And, he, and he can be gracious. Yes. And to those people that are sitting there in those situations with your heart, like, pounding outside of your body even, please rest in the fact that they are still in God's hands. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much we love them, He truly loves them even more beyond our understanding. And he has them. And rest in that knowledge. Yes. So, okay, you go to see the second child. Yes. And this is Sasha? No. Oh, okay. There is a second child that we have to step away from. We made the determination before we went that we would only adopt a child that we felt we could adequately care for. And being older parents now, because we're already in our 40s by this point, we would not leave a lifetime of care dependency on the daughter that we already had. Okay. So you were we staying true we to... Were making, right. Okay. Because the children that, that we are saying, God, there must be another plan for this child, are children that are going to require a lifetime of care. You bring up a great point. As a family, you have to decide what you can handle. And so really sticking to that in the moment when you're trying to make a decision, it's easy as a mother to say, yes, we'll do anything. We'll take anything. And you have to know, can you do special needs? Can you do long-term disability? Decide on what you're really looking for as a family in adoption. Do you want a boy? Do you want a girl? What age do you want? And staying true to that is really important. It's so true, because my husband and I were so open anyway 
I mean, you know, it, it, we were willing to accept the special needs and HIV and tuberculosis, and we were willing to work with all these children, but any child that would require care by another family member after we perhaps had died is where we had to draw the line. Okay, and like so... like you said, that was right for our family. That's where we felt peace. It doesn't make and, it easy. No, it does not, because I will tell you right now... Um, it 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 it's almost like a haunting that 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 feeling and knowing that that child um, may have come to get feelings for you because every child they introduce you to they have them start calling you mama and papa right then and there. Oh the no! You meet them. So you walk in and they start calling you that, and then you have to walk yeah. away. Oh my goodness! That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's because it, they want to encourage a match for the child's sake. You know, you have to be the person on the other side saying, but is this really a good match for this child if it's not a good match for the whole family? So, How long do you get to stay with each child? A few days. Oh, a few days. Mm-hmm. Well, not really because the orphanage has visiting hours. Like right. usually two hours a day. Some orphanages have, um, at least in Ukraine, have two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. Okay. Maybe a total of four. And what they do is they give up their playtime with all their friends spend time with you. So it's not even full or willing visitation time, if that makes sense to you. I mean, when you're dealing with a toddler or a four-year-old, you know, that has to make the choice between staying with these strangers that don't speak their language, that smell different, look different, talk different, or go play with their friends. Right. They're forcing (laughs) them into a room with you. So there you go. (laughs) Right. Okay, so you say no to these two. Were you thinking, we've only got one more? I got to tell you, after the second one, April, I was ready to go home. It was my husband's steal that kept me in the country. Oh. Because the heartbreak was just, too it much. was too wrenching for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really felt defeated at that point. But he encouraged me, and, and through prayer, um, and he is that rock. He is that steadfast, faithful guy. Um, it was his strength that, that kept me in the country, even for the third visit. And the minute, the very moment our son walked in to the doctor's office where we were first introduced to him, we both turned to each other and said at the same time, almost, that's our son. How old was he? received that immediate impression, Mm -hmm. that knowing, yes. He was almost four. He was still three. Okay. So he was a little guy. He was. He was about four months from being four years old, but he... um, can I just tell you how much smaller he was? Mm. Um, by the time we actually processed him out of the orphanage, and the first place I went to was some uh, American missionaries uh, place in Odessa. And um, our son, at the age of four then, four plus, uh, was smaller than their one-year-old. Oh, my goodness. So that's the kind of uh, deprivation we're talking about. And so you knew that this was your son. Did you know anything about his back history? We did a little bit. He had been abandoned at the hospital at uh, one day old. Um, So he had truly been an orphan for his life. His mother had, since she had given birth to him, had died. Um, And the father was already believed to have been dead. He did have siblings in other orphanages that were all given up in similar fashion, but we didn't know that at the time. We found that out later. 
and um, they considered him not being able to ever be taught. They told us he will never attend regular school. So I saw the future for him as being even more bleak, because if they would follow, this is a Russian sector of Ukraine, and if they were to follow the Russian uh, similar thinking, which I kind of thought maybe they would, um, if he proved to be too much of a handful, he would not go on to the internat after the baby home, the baby orphanage. He would actually be sent to a, a mental asylum. Oh, my goodness. Were you so, overwhelmed um, at that time, or were you thinking, I don't believe this? I knew that he was brilliant. Yes. I could tell by my interaction with him. I actually asked him a little bit later on. I said to him, I said, you know, they told me that you didn't speak until you know, you were like three and a half years old, but you talk so well. I said, why didn't you talk? And he looked at me and he said, Mama, nobody talked to me. They talked at me. Hmm. Now, that came from a four-year-old. It's a little amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. And <laughs> it just shows you that, I mean, we have stories like that in, in our family as well with our children that people said, oh, they'll never do this or they're not able to. And, and you know, I don't believe that love is always enough. I, I, I used to go into adoption like that. So I'm not saying that love is enough, but I am saying that love changes a lot. It does. It does, and just feeling safe. Yes. And we just look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, <laughs> you know, and start at the bottom and, and, and provide that safety and then provide the food and everything that they need and the nutrients and just everything that's necessary um, and love them all the way through it, right? Uh, our son was really blessed. He was truly blessed in one thing, can I tell you? Because the odds are so stacked against you if you read Harvard's Law's um, Bucharest Early Intervention Study that they've done over the past 30 years now with children from Eastern European orphanages. And what they found is that they can develop this autistic-like behavior, this spectrum behavior, um, simply from the neglect, right? Our son had a caregiver in each of his two groups that thought he was special and connected with him. And even though I'll never know, I know one of the two ladies, I never met the other one, I just cannot tell you how many times I've thanked God for those two women, those two workers in our son's life, early life. Yes. And I would, through the show, I've learned so much about international adoption. And that is a resounding theme that a lot of parents say is their child connected to them really quickly because someone in the orphanage loved them. They had one special caregiver or they had one, um, you know, aunt that would come visit them. They knew they were loved by one person and that made a world of difference for them coming into a family. And so I would even say now, if you're thinking about adoption and you are going to adopt an older child, not an infant from a hospital, just please start praying about someone who is with your child right now. Someone to love your child right now because it will change them in the orphanage and it will be able to help them connect to you. If a child feels rejected constantly, they will just oftentimes feel that you will reject them. Even though you're handing out a ton of love, they've been rejected for, for a few years. And that's what they know. And so I love hearing you say that because these people that God sent to your child helped your family. Yes. And well, it helped him too. I mean, that's the main thing. You know, he's not this little island to himself, even though we saw that behavior in the beginning, and every once in a while I still catch an ugly glimpse of it now. 
where he just kind of closes in on himself, and I can tell, and and, and I usually put my hand on his arm, mm-hmm. and I just let him know, you're not alone in this. What needs to be said? Mm-hmm. What do you need to say? Because I'm here for you. Kim, we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to hear a little bit about you trying to bring the child home and all the things that you went through. Obviously, won't have a bunch of time, but you wrote a whole book about it. And I mean, it's an amazing story what you went through from the time you fell in love with your son to the time you actually brought him back. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband, and I want to thank you for listening to this story on today's program. Do you have an adoption story? April and I have been through our own adoption journey, and I'd like to encourage you to contact us about sharing your story. You can do that by going to our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking on the Tell Your Story tab. Let's join together and inspire others. And now let's rejoin April and the rest of today's story. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're talking to Kim DeBlakeart. Now, she adopted her son from the Ukraine. She's written an award-winning book about it. I mean, her story is just amazing. And I'm so honored today that you're on the show with us, Kim. Oh, thank you, April. Okay, so you, in your story, you've gone to Ukraine. You've been matched to your son. His name was Sasha. This is the third child they presented to you, or you chose, to go visit. Now, how did you bring him home? How, what does that look like? What does that process look like? Well, um, obviously, our process had already been a little bit longer than we thought it was going to be. So once we um, actually met our son, um, the day after we had determined that we would go visit him, um, we, a very unusual thing happened. The FDA department contacted our facilitator and said, wait, 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 we just found out he has two siblings, and your family must go visit and adopt these two siblings as well if they want to adopt this boy. Wow. Well, that's very unusual because usually, you know, the FDA is on their game and they know all that right up front, and they present them as a group right up front. But that didn't happen in our case. But we prayed about it, and we were willing to go visit the other two children as well. And so we went first to see his older sister. Svetlana was about, I think she had just turned 16 at this point. She had just graduated from high school. And as a matter of fact, the day we met her was the day of the graduation ceremony and dance. So she was dressed very nicely. And she came in very composed and said the very first words out of her mouth, not hello, not anything else, I do not wish to be adopted. Oh. Yeah, and we were, we were really taken aback. But and we said, oh, okay. Um, she, and I said, can I ask you why? Because I just wanted to know, basically, at this point. And she said, look, all my life I've been told what to do. Finally, it's my time to live my life my way. And I don't want anyone telling me what to do anymore. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And um, you could tell that she was very intelligent. I mean, right off the bat, she knew who she was. And... Um, she said, but I want you to know, even though I have never met my younger two brothers, I know they exist. And if you want to adopt one or both of them, I am going to write you a letter right now giving my full blessing to this. Because I want them to have the chance that I feel like I never got. Wow. And so, like I said, very mature. And I, I just fell in love with her almost immediately. Right. 
<laughs> but, um, you know, we had to abide by her blessings. It is the law in the country, and so we did, even though, you know, deep down inside you're feeling the whole time this can't be right. I mean, she's, you know, 15, go or I think she was 15, about to turn 16 um, at the time, and you're thinking you're still a child, but you let it go. And um, we had to go on with a heavy heart and try to visit the other brother, which who was just a couple years older than our son, maybe three years older. We tried to do that, but it turns out that he had already been sent to America throughout a hosting program to a family who adored him and was planning to adopt him. Oh, good. So we weren't in any way, shape, or form going to stand in the way of that. They had a really cool story, too, but... Um, so, he, so was, he was there, so we couldn't even meet with him. Okay. So the two siblings aren't even a factor now. You're not going to, you, now the, the Ukraine must say, okay, everything's great. Now you can take Sasha? No. We had to go to court. And when we get to court, we do, it's become, you know, apparent that the prosecutor has a problem that we're not adopting both boys. And we explain, our facilitator explains, hey, he's not even here, they couldn't visit him, he's over in America, and he's going to be adopted by that family. And so the judge agrees with us, and he awards us the adoption of Sasha. But everybody's on pins and needles about what the prosecutor's going to do, and wouldn't you know it, he appeals our adoption. And his grounds are that there are 13 mistakes in our adoption decree. Number one, they were all spelling mistakes. And number two that um, we didn't adopt both boys, and he had an issue with that. He, d- he didn't care that this other family already had them and that this little boy already loved them and that that was already going to happen. He didn't care about that. We were there. Now we should take both boys. So he appeals our adoption. He sends us a letter of intent to appeal, but he doesn't get his paperwork in on time. So there's a whole long, interesting story about how I'm notified 20 minutes after he misses that closing by another guy in Kiev. So you can read about that in the book. And then <laughs> I go in, and I'm instructed to, I go in and ask for my adoption decree on Monday morning, which I'm granted. So we legally process our son out of the orphanage, and we're in the process of getting him a passport and a visa so that he can leave the country and enter another country legally. That's what you have to do. How long have you been in the country at this point? By then, I have already been there almost five months. Oh, my goodness. We arrived at the beginning of May. It's now the beginning of September. And so, did your husband go back? Four months. Um, he didn't have to because, wisely, he had already, him and my daughter had already left at the beginning of July. So from July to September, I've already been by myself. Okay, so they went back earlier. And you're well, by yourself. he had to keep his job. Right. I lost mine. Oh, no. Um, and our daughter was suffering with culture shock. You know, I think right. we all were to some degree. Anyway, they went back ahead of time, and he does all the right things. He signs all the right papers at the embassy on the way out so that the coast is clear for us to come. And so, but in doing so, he sets a time clock. Those papers are good for one year. And if we don't uh, complete the adoption of this boy within one year of time from that point, everything has to be done all over again, including home study and dossier. So for those of you adopting, you know, huh, that's a cause of the heart there. Right. Anyway, um, so what ends up happening is that he somehow, rather illegally in our opinion, gets somebody to accept his appeal, appeal paperwork late. And at that point, it's a personal vendetta for him. 
mm-hmm. because you understand Eastern European culture is based on pride and shame. And I unintentionally caused him shame. Mm-hmm. Me, an American woman who, you know, Western women are held in an even lower regard. Um, and so he's out to get us at that point. He's out to get me. And he throws every roadblock in our way. We're supposed to get an appeal hearing within 20 days from that time, beginning of September. We don't even get our appeal hearing until December 22nd because of all the legal roadblocks he puts in our way that have to be jumped over, all the hurdles have to right. be jumped over for that appeal. We get to the appeal, the judge finds for neither side. And it's a real punch to the stomach at Why? this point. Well, that's what we've asked. And he said, look, I'm doing you a favor. Because of the spelling mistakes of the adoption decree, he has legal grounds to take you to the Supreme Court. That will take at least two years. Oh, my goodness. He said, what I've done is I've found for neither side, I've simply asked for a new adoption decree, which has to be granted by a new judge. So you have to start back over at the beginning of the adoption decree portion only. You should be able to get through that in a few months. In a few months? Yeah, that's what we're saying at that point. So Jan has come back for the appeal. He has to be there for that. So we're all together. It's Christmas time. We have so little hope left at this time, but we're trying to get through it. Do you have um, him with you? Is Sasha with you at this point? Yes, because we have a legal adoption decree. Okay, so how is he doing? How he was, was he? Great. And by, he was by great. December, uh, uh, Sasha is interpreting for me. Oh. He's learned English <laughs> so quickly. That's so cute. It is a This little boy that they said had mental issues and would never learn is now your interpreter. I love it. I love it, yeah. I found that out at the barber when he was getting his, one of his first haircuts there at a little kid's place. And, and, and I, was, I had learned Russian by now. My husband will tell you that I, he thought I was fluent, but I was by no means fluent. And, um, and I'm not understanding what this lady is saying, but she has a lisp. And so it's just making it harder for me to understand the words. And um, I can't understand what she's saying. And, and little Sasha puts his hand on my arm and he goes, Mama, we must wait. Oh, okay. That's what she's saying. Okay. Aww, <laughs> we went over so and cute. sit down, and that's when I know he can do this, right? So, so anyway. You're just in love with this little boy. I mean, oh, you know, it's yeah. because if you take the, the heart out of it and you just hear the, the months and the frustration and this lawyer coming after you, people think, how can you do that? And family members and people who don't understand adoption say, just just come home. Can't you find a caregiver and, you know, pay for him to have good school? And they have all these options, but you can't understand what it's like to just be in love with this child. You can't, you can't leave this little boy. It's like your birth child. You're not going to leave them behind. You're going to do whatever it takes. And that is, I, I just commend you for it. I know that, you know, no adoptive parent likes that, but really being true to what God has for you, but it's a lot easier when you're just like in love. Isn't it? It is so much easier. But isn't it funny that, you know, we don't, we don't realize that when he calls us, he's calling us no matter what. He doesn't call us and say, well, as long as it's convenient for you, right? right? As long as it's easy for you. God never calls people that way. I mean, we have so many examples of that in the Bible, don't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we also experience a lawyer coming after us, um, and he was very aggressive towards me. And, um, I mean, he called me every vile name that you can imagine. And I was so shocked and very young in a lot of areas. And I, I was terrified. I was so scared that they were going to somehow take the baby. Somehow we weren't going to bring them home. Yeah. And they told us not to let him go back to the orphanage, April. 
they said, he'll make sure that you never see this boy again. The power, the evil yeah. power, really, that can come against you, but God is stronger. And if you're in the middle of something right now and you're scared, it doesn't have to be quite this intense, but you feel fear for some reason. I just want to say that God is there with you, that there is, is a standard that will be raised up against the enemy and do not fear. He's going well, he to, he's going to come place. for you. Absolutely. He, does. he has a special place in his heart for children. I think he makes it apparent through his word. And just know, though, that that's what makes the spiritual warfare in this area so intense. Absolutely. And we have to talk about that. We have to bring it to the table, because um, I, I do believe that that's the reason why for some of this. But I also believe God had another plan. I mean, uh, you can imagine us sitting there in January having to start all over again, and then we get a call from a producer from the Oprah Winfrey Network saying, we'd like to come film when you bring your son home. We've been following you on Facebook and everything that you've been going through. And we're just amazed by this. That is amazing. And they said, just tell us when you're bringing him home. And I I laughed. I said, how can we answer that question? We don't even know if we're bringing him home, let alone the date when, so that you can get your film crew together. (laughs) Now, did did they film it? No. No, they, they, they never did because we couldn't. You didn't know. They had to mm-hmm. use so many Ukrainian film crew members, and there was some things going back and forth. They truly needed to know a date. And, of course, we could never supply that to them. Right. So how long? Okay, so now it's January. What does that look like? Well, he starts, the prosecutor starts trying to come after us again. He starts throwing roadblocks in the way. Um, I have to hire three attorneys at this point because our adoption agency has dropped us at this point. Oh, they didn't want anything to do so with you? no longer. They didn't want us to continue. Okay. And um, we have to hire lawyers at this point, which we do. I find a team of three. And we are assigned the perfect judge. This judge, you know, the very first meeting with the prosecutor just puts him in his place and just says, look, we're not going through all of this uh, paperwork that you're trying to throw at this family. I'm going to rule on the adop- adoption decree first. Because if that isn't found, there's no reason for any of this other stuff. Well, the prosecutor's furious. He, he turns over the chair in the courtroom. He walks out, leaves all his stuff on the table. My attorney is, like, scared to death, I can tell. He follows him. And that's when the prosecutor goes and issues a warrant for me, basically, throughout the country of Ukraine. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's getting really scary now right. at this point. Because I'm having to call the American Embassy and let them know there's a warrant out for my arrest. And what do I do? And, you know, the American Embassy is walking me through on the phone all the different things that I have to be aware of. And that's all in the book. But, um, you know, yet we remain strong. And at this point, we've lost friends. We've lost family. Our church is questioning us. Right. Um, But we remain strong for the love of Sasha. And it's even a more hectic flight out and everything that happens. I'll just have to turn everyone to, until we all come home. I'm so sorry, but it really is an interesting way that God intervenes and brings us home, and we never have to break the law. We never have to do anything. He just, you know, asked us to be patient. That's what he asked, and that's what we tried to be through all this, but because of that, we met amazing people in Ukraine. We fell in love with Svetlana, and we ended up, um, I, we were a family to her even across the seas. And her death just really rocked our world. Oh, the sister? Um, the older sister. 
ended up having tuberculosis. And that's what brought me back to Ukraine. Oh, my goodness. Once I had left. We oversaw her care. We made sure she got everything she needed. We fundraised for some of the things beyond what we could at that point even provide. But we lost her in June of 2014, and that was the birth of Nurse Charts. I can't believe, I I just have to stop you, I can't believe that after all you went through in Ukraine that you are going back. You're going back to visit and you are, you know, starting Nourished Hearts in Ukraine. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But isn't that amazing that God healed you enough that you're going right back into the country that you were scared for your life and you're trying to get this little boy out of? And here you are just so attached to the country. That's, it's just the way I think God rolls sometimes. <laughs> he, he, he takes what should be just such a beautiful, and you have all these rose-colored dreams of what the adoption's going to look like, running to each other from across a field or just whatever, right? And then, you know, the, the harsh reality of dealing between governmental and legal matters can, can rear up, but God uses what man considers for evil. God just turns to good. Absolutely. I love that you said that. And there are some parts of the story that I wish we could cover. And you will have to get the book if you want to know more about her story. But um, there are people set up along the way that encouraged you, got you out the door. You connected with them because you knew they were Christian. One man helped you. He was a kickboxer and his name was Sasha, just like your sons. And we have a story like that as well. You know, one of the head nurses in the midst of the chaos was the same name as our daughter. And it was this connection and she stood up for us. I will tell you, if I focus on the journey that we've been through, some people would say, I would never do it. But if you could see what God did in the process, if you could see the way that he um, divinely set up people and got us out the back door and stood up for us when we did not, we couldn't do anything. I mean, legally, you can't do anything. And when God shows up, those stories become so powerful. They're way better than the fantasy. Oh, the baby just showed up. I mean, they become the the real grit of the gospel. Yes, yes, uh, that, that's exactly. I, you can't see me, but I'm just nodding my head the whole time you're talking, <laughs> April, because that's exactly the way you feel. You you leave the process. Um, you you're, you don't ask why. You 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 stay with it, and you marvel, mm-hmm. and you realize that there are angels. Yes and that they appear just when you need them. Um, For these children, I'm convinced that it all comes down to that child, that it's not so much even for us as a family, of course. It's all centered on that child and God's love for children Mm -hmm. and his special love, I think, for the orphan. Mm -hmm. And he displays it in both the Old and New Testaments. And and I don't... Nothing surprises God, of course. Um, I I would have never imagined... I, I know I can be a little strong-headed sometimes, but I never knew that he'd have to do go to this lake to get my attention somewhere. <laughs> right. But he did. And then at the end, you're like, I got to be a part of this little boy's story, of this little girl's story. Yeah. I thought I was just uh, growing my family and selfishly kind of just wanted a new baby or just wanted a child. But really, God chose me as a parent to fight for this child, and I get to be part of their story. And I watched angels and uh, watched God do miracles to bring this child home. And there are times when you don't bring the child home. They go to a different family or things are disrupted. But if you continue to just put your faith in God, he brings you through. And you really do see what can can come out of it. Um, Just talking a little bit about nourished hearts, I mean, that was heartbreaking to say no 
okay, we're, we're going to leave the, the sister because she, she's saying she doesn't want to be adopted. And then she ends up passing away and you get this fire inside of you to start something for orphans, even though you're not bringing them home. How are you caring for them over there? Well, you know, we, we mothered her from afar. We had her set up an apartment. We did everything we possibly could, right? And even in the last few days, uh, uh, an evangelical pastor friend goes and leads her to the Lord. Oh, that's amazing. So it really is an amazing story when you look at it. But now what it started is a three-legged program. Uh, the, the nonprofit is called Nourished Hearts, and we work with indigenous leaders there in Ukraine, in the Odessa Oblast, that are working in three areas, one of three areas, prevention, transition, and visitation. So we back, not only financially, although there's some financial backing as well, of course, but it's um, through partnerships, through going through a project proposal time and having job descriptions written and really teaching people from the East how to work with people from the West mm, in so partnership. Good. And um, but also, you know, we want to encourage them to reach beyond their church membership, right? Right. And so you find these people that want to reach into hurting children or hurting children and families' lives and bring healing, bring God's healing. And so that's what we do um, through prevention. We've opened the first orphan prevention center or family preservation center, whichever way you want to look at it. These children have been targeted to be removed by the state and placed in the orphanage, and the church is intervening and opening their doors seven days a week to these children to offer tutoring, um, meals, to offer doctor visits, dental visits, speech therapy, English lessons, Bible stories and crafts. I mean, seven days a week. But who's better positioned to do this than the church? A building that typically is beautiful and safe and warm, but it sits empty. So many days a week. Right. It's just a beautiful marriage of the two things. And they're even reaching into the family's life, making sure there's groceries in the house, making sure they're signed up for all the social programs they should be. Do you need um, a treatment program? Do you need medical assistance? Because, you know, most of these families, let's face it, they're, you know, usually single-parented household, either by the mom or the grandma, if the mom has passed away. Um, they're sex trade workers. There's HIV or tuberculosis in the family. There's some tragedy going on in that family that has gotten them to that point, right? Right. And we're just trying to prevent and bring healing through the church. It's a beautiful thing. The That's visitation teams, um, Odessa Without Orphans, goes into at least 17, I think it's more now, orphanages with visitation teams one to two times a week. Our, our uh, nonprofit supports a specialized visitation team that goes into the orphanage that said no to the teams for over two years. That's amazing. Now, where can people find out more about it? They can go to Nourished, and that's with an E-D, hearts, with an S, dot org. We also have links on, um, we have a Nourished Hearts Facebook page. And if you um, friend me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or Instagram or anywhere, you know, you'll always get links back to our pages as well. Kim, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, April. It's so nice meeting you this way. And hello to all the listeners. And um, I, I'm just going to leave you with love courageously. That's, that's my battle cry. Amen. Thank you so much, Kim. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. I love you for a thousand miles.
Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.